We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast, sponsored as always by DraftKings.com. It is Tuesday, April 17th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since we've actually chatted. Yeah. Um, I think since like second to last week of the regular season. Obviously, a lot has transpired in that amount of time. We'll spend the vast majority of this podcast um, breaking down what we've seen so far in the postseason. Um, but first, a couple housekeeping notes. One, uh, happy 45th birthday to former Pistons, Sixers, Hawks, Blazers, Celtics, Timberwolves, Pistons again, Sixers again, Spurs, Bobcats, and Lakers great Theo Ratliff, the one-time owner uh, of a World Basketball Association team that was once based in Rome, Georgia. Um, oh, what was the na- What was the mascot? I do not know. Okay. Uh, I just I, know that it was based in Georgia. Okay, I appreciate the that he was on the Bobcats because I feel he like was. the Bobcats might get lost in history somehow mm-hmm. within the next like twenty years. The Rome Gladiators. Oh, that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, you had to. Yeah, very limited information is available about that team, uh, but Theo Ratliff did own it. <laughs> okay, he's got to be the most accomplished player ever out of Wyoming, right? I can't really be all that close. I mean, Larry Nance might be number two. I mean, 
the fact, I mean, I, I forget that Wyoming's a state, so. Yeah. A lot of people um, forget that. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we get to playoffs, uh, we should note three coaches have been fired in the last week. Uh, these were all non-playoff coaches, obviously. Frank Vogel, gone from Orlando. Jeff Warnesek, gone from New York. And Charlotte parted ways with Steve Clifford. I feel like to me, Clifford is probably the most surprising. But when you consider this is a, a franchise that's switching GMs, um, yeah. clearly kind of trying to usher in somewhat of a new era. I guess it's not all that surprising that Mitch Kupchak would want his own guy. But um, I mean, do you agree? Is Clifford the most surprising? Were you were you surprised whatsoever that Vogel was let go? That Hornacek was let go? Not really. I, yeah, the Clifford one is the most surprising because I, it kind of just seems like he's the fall guy, more or less, for like this roster that was constructed poorly as far as salaries go. And mm-hmm. I don't really know what necessarily a different coach would do to have the, I almost said Bobcats, to have the uh, Hornets have gotten like, let's say, eight more wins. Like what, yeah. I don't really know what else there was to do. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose at this point you try anything because you mm. are i think trying to avoid losing Kemba Walker uh and maybe they're get gearing up for the rebuild and just want a different mm-hmm. face in there yeah i think that's what it seemed like to me i mean of those 3 like clifford is a guy who when you talk to people he's just he's just talked about as a good coach you right. know whereas like you know Vogel has had success in the past in indiana and and Hornacek, i think generally um, you know, people are in favor of like Clifford is, is, you know, considered a very good coach. And of those three, I think he probably will have the best shot to land another job next year. Should he want yeah. it? Um, you know, obviously he took a, a leave for health reasons earlier this year, so it wouldn't be shocking if he ends up taking a year or two off and getting back into it, um, you know, in the next coaching cycle. But, um, you know, the Knicks job certainly going to be intriguing just because it's the New York Knicks. You have Porzingis, you have a few young assets, you have another lottery pick coming in. The Orlando job to me, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a bad job. I guess in theory, you'll, you'll probably get Aaron Gordon back, assuming they resign him. Jonathan Isaac, if his ankle doesn't, you know, if roll like a hundred times yeah. next year, he'll play. But I mean, they're they're very quickly and somewhat quietly becoming like the kings of the East. In that, I mean, they haven't made the playoffs since Dwight Howard left. They really have almost nothing to show for all these lottery picks. I mean, Aaron Gordon yeah. is they've traded like so many players away right. for nothing. I mean, like Tobias Harris has gone, mm-hmm. Oladipo, Ibaka, like just guys like that. Ilyasova, Ilyasova, <laughs> right? I mean, Alfred Payton. They they made a big trade to get Alfred Payton. They ended up giving up what was the Dario Saric pick to get Payton. Yeah, you know they don't even end up seeing him through his entire rookie contract. So Orlando, really no closer to making the playoffs now than they were eight years ago. Um, and obviously, you can say the same thing about Sacramento. Yeah, um, I mean, I've I saw enough of like Frank Vogel's pregame and postgame press conferences. I think maybe being fired is the best call for like his mental health. He kind of just seemed like sad most of the time, like just really out of options as far as what to do with Mm -hmm. the team at some point, because they started off so well and everything was like, yeah, oh, maybe the, you know, magic can sneak into the playoffs. And then everything came crashing down when the team stopped shooting 60% from three. Um, But yeah, the, yeah, the magic are are in a tough spot, obviously. Like I didn't even realize Evan Fournier, Evan Fournier is making 17 million. uh, Which seems like. I mean, I like Evan Fournier. I think he's good. He's only 25, but I didn't think he was making 17. Like their their cap sheet isn't isn't great either, mm-hmm. especially since they paid 
they paid a bunch of guys in the offseason who are like that 28 year old range like they were like okay well terrence ross let's get you know let's take him on well they traded for him like 10 million jonathan simmons will throw him six million over three years he's 28 um they have shelvin mack next season still um somehow he is only 27 yeah i assumed he was early 30s right he seemed like he was 31 like when he was at butler but i I like the simmons (laughs) signing i mean it is kind of it's easy to forget that he's he's older you know i mean he came into the league late um after playing in the d league and then overseas and whatnot but i like that deal it was weird to me especially watching san antonio these last couple nights which we'll get into like they could really use jonathan simmons (laughs) he'd be nice uh that's for sure um but yeah this orlando roster i mean they is this is what happens when you miss on you know lottery pick after lottery pick um you know obviously the the hazonia selection did not work out the bayambo signing has not worked out that's one of the 10 worst contracts in the nba right now um not the most appealing job uh but you know certainly one where you have incoming lottery picks you have a couple young pieces um you know they will fill the job i I feel pretty confident (laughs) in saying they'll have a coach before next season uh okay let's get into playoff stuff um I want to ask you right away. We did a, a Rotowire roundtable mm-hmm. on the NBA page of the website that went up uh, late last week before the playoffs began. Um, and I want to ask you now, you know, knowing what we know uh, with some series heading into game three, most heading into game two, what would you change uh, about what you what you said in that roundtable? Um, I. I don't remember everything that I said. Well, luckily I have I it say up too many right things. Here. Yeah, tell me. Do you have any ones that you okay? Well, let's start with this. One trouble? of the questions. One of the questions, and of course, you can read this article on the website. It is not behind a paywall. One of the questions was which teams will play in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. You okay. said in the East, Cleveland and Philly. In the West, Houston, Golden State. I'm assuming you still feel the same about the West. Uh, do you yeah. feel any different about the Eastern <laughs> Conference right now? Um that the Cavs game was really ugly um I I don't know I mean I know you watched a lot more Cavs basketball than I did maybe I didn't realize how poor the team was overall they're bad um I'm gonna stick with it though I yeah I want to see I think I mean I think the Cavs can win one in, in Indiana um they can probably win this next one I'm not I'm not ready to count them out of the the Eastern Conference Finals yet Okay, so to double down on that, the series you were most confident about was Cleveland over Indiana. That was also the one that you said would end in a sweep. Um, well, let's just start with that series then. I don't mean to pile on. I see when I when I submitted my answers for this, I kind of like hedged my own rooting interests, and yeah, I picked Toronto and Philly in the East Finals. Okay. And I still feel like that's going to be the case. I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I expected the Cavs to pick that in Game One. You know, like I. I told myself to to brace for the worst having right. watched so much of this team and jordan clarkson played as bad as he's been since the trade george hill was terrible tristan thompson played only what two minutes lebron you know that was his like c game still got a triple double but it didn't <laughs> it didn't feel there was like there was one stretch i think in the third quarter uh where he you know he ripped off like seven points in a row and had an and one and a big block and then it kind of looked like okay maybe they'll make a run um but after that lebron kind of went into that mode where and i've tried to describe this to people who don't watch the Cavs as much where it's like it's easy to pile on lebron and say like oh if he's so good why doesn't he just drag this team to wins which we've seen him do and he's capable of doing but this was one of those games where everyone was playing so badly that it almost looked like 
LeBron just took a step back and was like, I can't even, I can't <laughs> yeah. even help you guys. You I'm rest setting, for like, next game. He's setting them up wide open three after wide open three, and it's just brick after brick. Kyle Korver, I think he played like four minutes, miss, managed to miss two or three shots in that span. Yeah. Jeff Green went scoreless. He was 0 for 7 <laughs> 0 for from the 7. field. Um, I mean, like I said, Clarkson, I, I joked on Twitter the other day, like it, it honestly seems like he just spent the summer watching Monte Ellis tape. Like he is... <laughs> I did not realize the amount of chucking that that man does uh, yeah. without regard. He was 0 for 3. Calderon was 0 for 3. Corver was 0 for 2. JR was actually great in this game. He was. He was. He was really keeping them, keeping this from becoming more of a blowout uh, than, than it was for, for much of the game. So, I mean, if you're the Cavs, this was as bad as things could have gone. You, the worst first quarter that they'd played all year. They were down 33 to 14 at the end of the first. And I, I think they got it down to 7 or 8 at one point uh but it, it never it never left control i mean victor oladipo was the best player on the floor right uh, and it really wasn't close yeah they didn't they they i mean they made a solid run in the third quarter i mean they basically played it even in the second quarter and then uh plus nine in the third quarter so they had i mean they had a chance like you mentioned um it wasn't a complete blowout mm-hmm. at that point but I, I didn't realize until now that other than LeBron, the only other player to take double-digit field goal attempts was Jr., who took 11. Mm-hmm. And like Kevin Love with eight field goal attempts, I feel like he's just got to shoot the ball. Um, yeah, I agree. Well, this was one of those games they never made an effort to get Love involved. You know, I mean, he took he took eight shots, six of them were threes. Right. And you know, anybody who's watched any Cavs basketball knows that that's a big part of the offense. But oftentimes, what they would do is try to establish Kevin Love in the post early in games. That that was never. That was never in the script. I thought this was a very poorly coached game by Ty Lue. I think that was a pretty universal sentiment uh, among those who watched this game. But yeah, like you said, I mean, they, this is, pr- I mean, the, the shot distribution, JR took 11, um, but that was because he's JR. Like, right. They don't, <laughs> the when Kevin Love plays like this, and granted he had 17 rebounds, he was, you know, he was fine in that regard, but they don't, they don't have that number two anymore, you know, where if LeBron you know, he was 0 for 4 himself from 3. His jumper really, he didn't look comfortable shooting it all afternoon. If, if he's not in attack mode, you know, I'm going to score every time mode, they don't have Kyrie to fall back on anymore. And and certainly they could have used him in this game. Right, and that's kind of what bothers me about the, the Kevin Love thing. It really just frustrates because Kevin Love, we're, like we have to talk about Kevin Love like he's not the number two when he clearly is, if Kevin Love is your second best player, like you have a really good team. And you should be feeding him the ball, and he should get twenty and ten on purpose, not on accident. Yeah. Um, especially in situations like this, where you know, I understand like Miles Turner is a pretty good defender. Thad Young is is solid. Sabonis, like they have a like Indiana has a good front court. It's not like they're a bunch of pushovers that Kevin Love can just back to the basket or anything like mm-hmm. that. But um, just not making an effort to get him involved in the post at all. And, and it just confuses me because he's also a good passer. It's not like he's a black hole. Mm-hmm. You throw it in there and it's just nothing happens. I mean, you could almost, I mean, Minnesota ran an entire offense around him for like years. Right. So stuff like this just kind of confuses me from Cleveland. And I don't know if, it, mm-hmm. but at this point, I just like you said, I think it's a coaching issue. So I had watched, uh, I had a friend, a buddy in town this weekend and we watched, we watched the games on Saturday. Um, we watched the games on Sunday. LaMarcus Aldridge really struggled for the Spurs in game one. He was great last night. Um, mm-hmm. we'll get to that series in a second but you know we watched him struggle and then we watched Kevin Love you know kind of disappear on offense in this game and we, we we started talking about um you know who's who's the better player long term um 
you know, like in, in 20 years, are we going to look back and say who had the better career, LaMarcus Aldridge or Kevin Love? Like to me, that's pretty close, right? Because Kevin Love had the better statistical peak. You know, right. he had two, three years in Minnesota where he, you could argue he was a top 10 player. I don't know that you could ever say that about Aldridge, but he's been, you know, a more winning player, you know, a better, you know, kind of alpha number one option. Whereas, you know, when Kevin Love was that guy, his team's number one more than I think 40 games. Yeah. Um, not that we need to spend too much time on this debate, but I, I think it's kind of an interesting comparison. Like, who would you rather have? No, that is a good question. Because, um, I, I mean, I feel like they're, I want to say, like, I mean, they're kind of similar players. They're both basically, like, undersized fives. They can play fours. Right. And certain, like, at this, neither of them were taking a particularly great at defense. Um, like, Love's ability to hit threes is is really, like, I think that is what would separate him from, um, at least, like, if I were to, I'm not sure to answer the question, but like Love's ability to shoot threes for me makes me lean towards him. Um, if he, but that's really only in tandem with like when he's also doing post moves like Lamarcus Aldridge right. did, and we don't get to see that. Yeah, Love's uh, post game is not where it used to be. I think he lost too much weight. Well, yeah, because they, yeah, they just made him, yeah, they made him lose like 25, right. 30 pounds or whatever, and just had him rung up and down the mm-hmm. floor. I think it would be just as valuable to have him put that weight back on I and agree. do some jump hooks or turnarounds mm-hmm. or just bully get offensive rebounds. Cause he's one of the, he used to be one of the best offensive rebounders in the league. And he would, I mean, he was a transcendent rebounder at the he beginning was, of his yeah. career. He had a 30, 30 game. He averaged 15 rebounds a game in his third NBA season. And, and this, I mean, the hit to me, the hit to Kevin love is so much more than the hit that Chris Bosch took when Chris, you know, when LeBron, had that team bosh was still an elite elite defender he got better as a defender in miami than he was in toronto right so it kind of counteracted you know the decline quote unquote on offense um and bosh could also shoot it i don't think he was as good of a shooter as kevin love but he was by the end of it he was pretty close i mean he was a very reliable like catch and shoot corner three guy yeah, the whole team was it towards was. the end. They except all, for Dwayne Wade. Yeah. Except for <laughs> except for Wade. Um, let's talk about Warrior Spurs. Uh, game one, complete domination. Game two, Spurs played a decent first half, um, but you, again, you never felt like they were in control at all. This this is no. the series that I picked. If anyone was going to end in a sweep, I thought it would be this one. And it's it's gone about as I would expect. I guess. I mean, the Warriors still don't seem to be turning it on. Uh, to the level that we'll see later in the playoffs. I mean, they do for stretches. Um, and last night that meant Clay Thompson just, you know, doing Clay Thompson things, yeah. you know, as I forget, I think it was, I don't I remember who was calling the game, but whoever it was, was literally talking about Clay Thompson's ability to run off screens. And within that, like 45 seconds while that conversation <laughs> was going on, Thompson hit like three spot up jumpers. It was, I mean, they is i think steph's their most valuable player i think that's become kind of more and more clear this year as he's been out but um you know when he's out we get to see more of you know why clay thompson is is in my opinion you know a top 20 top 15 guy yeah and i honestly i kind of like i i just hated like i kind of hate watching this series because it like it makes me sad in a way um because especially like the thing i noticed through the second game is the it was basically tied like the Spurs were up what like four six something seven eight something like that and um Durant was just bricking a lot of shots like they're running him off pick and rolls and he was just bricking everything but all the shots were basically open shots Mm -hmm. and so the fact that the Spurs didn't have a double digit advantage and Durant was bricking everything 
but they happen to be open shots. I was like, I don't have a good feeling because he's mm-hmm. not going to keep doing that. And then like he, he ended up finishing the game 10 for 19, nine of 10 from the free throw line had six assists. Um, like you meant like clay Thompson, um, turned on in the second half and it just, I, and things really, I think kind of took a turn when Draymond got really mad at Davis Bertans, um, claimed Bertans was choking him. <laughs> um, and then after that, they just like, they got their weird, I, I don't know how to describe it. They got like their confidence, mm-hmm. but that confidence they only get when they're up like 10 and they know the game is over and then they start trash talking. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, the Warriors are certainly a front running team. The, the nice thing is they're in front most of the time. All the time. So, <laughs> so it works yeah. pretty well. But yeah, I mean, like you said, once they get going, you know, they, it very quickly balloons from like a four point lead to a seven point lead to a 10 point lead. And all of a sudden and the, the game's, game's over. over. That's, that's what happened last night. I mean, it was going into the fourth i think it was a five or six point game but you knew i mean the way that the warriors closed the third you knew exactly what was going to happen we'd seen this play out time and time again and if there's one silver lining i guess for the spurs one is that lamarcus aldridge was awesome last night right. um 34 and 12 uh 12 of 12 at the line you know completely redeemed himself after a terrible game one they went four of 28 from three and they shot the ball horribly in game one as well. Um, Danny Green has been atrocious in this series. He played 25 minutes. He was minus 26 <laughs> in 25 minutes. Had zero points, two rebounds, one assist. And that was it. Uh, Bertans was one of six. He was in this game way too long. He I, he was on the court. like He was guarding Durant. And ISO is like without even <laughs> switching. Like on purpose, he was out there. Uh, Rudy Gay looked good for a lot of this game. I guess if, if you want to call that a silver lining, that's fine. But... It's pretty clear. I mean, this Spurs team without Kawhi really doesn't have much of a shot. They haven't gotten anything from Green. They haven't gotten anything from Kyle Anderson. Shante Murray started but barely played. Um, I, I think I'm more confident now than I was before that this ends in four. Yeah. Um, and definitely, like, yeah, the body language of the Spurs after the game was just, like, pretty bad. Like you said, like, that is, I think, pretty indicative of how the how the series is going. They also just seemed very defeated and like you said like a, a few of these guys have really good games like patty mills played really well yeah. like rudy gay despite going over three he's not really a three-point shooter like that's fine went six or 12 from the field aldridge played well but um and the and the bench was solid but it, it's they just don't have the talent like overall mm-hmm. when your second i mean who's their second best player if, you, if last night it was rudy gay it, by a mile and so that i mean that, that's kind of the problem right. at this point when you don't have Kawhi is mm-hmm. your second best player instead of the marcus aldridge turns into yeah. some combination of like rudy gay patty mills whoever's good that night yeah i mean they miss Kawhi on both ends that goes without saying especially defensively though i mean they just don't they don't have anybody to guard durant i think they thought no. kyle anderson would be that guy <laughs> and that that just hasn't gone well rudy gay Rudy Gay can kind of stick with him, but I mean Durant last night, like when he got going, he's just he's too smooth. He's too good in the mid range, and there's and not that anybody can really slow him down. So it's nothing against Rudy Gay, but the Spurs right now uh, just do not have the horses. So the other game last night, Miami and Philly, mm-hmm. I was very confident. I, I said to my roommate watching this game, like even Philly was down ten or twelve, I think, in, early in the fourth, late in the third, and. I really thought they were going to come back, and they almost did. They I, mean, almost I think did. they they had it tied. Yeah. Um. And then Miami just hit. Josh Richardson hit some tough shots. Dwayne Wade was. <laughs> this was the best game Dwayne Wade's played in like three years. Yeah. He. I mean, not not joking. He would be like the Cavs' third best player right now, even if he didn't play like this. And twenty eight seven three two had a, that huge steal 
at the end of the game that yeah, that ended that was up kind crazy. of giving them a little bit of a cushion and allowing them to play a little more loosely. Um, that said, though, I still I still feel like Philly. I wouldn't say they blew this game, but the shot selection was <laughs> appalling. And to be fair, this is these are the same shots that I guess they were knocking down in yeah. game one. But like Margo Bellinelli, actually, not even just him, Bellinelli, Reddick, Covington, uh, and Ursan, and even Dario Sarge, like all five of those guys, whenever they get the ball, it's just going up. It was yeah. bizarre. <laughs> like, I mean, you, you kind of expect that, I guess, from Bellinelli, but him and Reddick are flying off screens with 19 seconds left in the shot clock and just you know launching up these contested threes bellinelli had two in the last few minutes last night one of them his body's at like a 60 degree angle like he basically (laughs) shot it like it was a half quarter the other one he's you know flailing his legs and clearly wasn't getting fouled and reddick had a couple that were the same way um and it, it just it seemed like they were they were forcing things like they were playing a 24 second possession as if there were five seconds left on the shot clock um and you know some of that credit goes to miami for how they defended uh but it, it it seemed like philly just was not nearly patient enough on offense yeah philly definitely panicked down the stretch um and they like they play that fast-paced style offense and like if marco bellinelli takes like a slightly off balance three early in the shot clock that seems to just be like what they do i mean yeah. it's an open shot like and the way he's playing going into that game you know you live with it yeah and all these guys they like yeah they shoot like they have no conscience like it's as as they're open they just pull up but yeah i mean i especially noticed it when the game was like tied or they were down by like five which very reasonable place to come back late in the game and they were just like you said rushing shots when they could really you know run the offense a little bit make some passes um make sure the shot clock isn't at like 15 when they just pull up a contested Mm -hmm. shot because they had plenty of time um and it you know it I mean, it really is the first time because they were on that massive winning streak. They're a young team in the playoffs. I think they probably just panicked. Um, but at the same time, a lot of these guys aren't young players like Ursan, Redick, um, Bellinelli. These aren't guys who should be panicking hmm. or I wouldn't expect to be panicking. Like they're the guys who are supposed to hold, you know, guys like Simmons and Sarich and be like, we can't, right. we got to play this thing out. I don't know if panic's the word I would use. I mean, it, it certainly looked panicky. It, it felt almost panicky. felt it was like more hero ball to me than panicky. You know, like they, yeah. they like I said, I mean, it was clear to anybody watching. Like it was, you're like shaking your head at some of these shots. I mean, Covington, Ilyasova, and Reddick were two of eighteen combined from three, and it's not like they were missing open looks by any means. You know, these were almost all contested. Yeah, you know, early shot clock type of shots um and philly was cleaning up i mean they had 17 offensive rebounds a ton of their points in the first half were just rebound put back simmons was active on the glass ursan had six offensive boards um they were really able to neutralize Whiteside again he didn't do anything you know he came in picked up four fouls in 15 minutes and i don't know if he even played that all in the fourth quarter he was bizarrely picking up ben simmons full court on a couple <laughs> possessions believe it or not that led to a foul um but you, it was also very clear i mean you, you could see from the tip miami's plan was to not let ben simmons run 100 miles an hour for 80 feet and then try to make something happen at the rim which is what happened in game one simmons still had 24 9 and 8 he was great but he had five fouls he was a little out of control um you know he ended up kind of getting caught in the air a few times and having to take some of those ugly lefty righty uh fadeaway jumpers and I think Justice Winslow, you know, he didn't do much on offense, two points, three rebounds, but defensively he was really, really good on Simmons. Yeah, I mean, they that's the thing about the Heat. They have a lot of different – I mean, they, they don't really have a quote-unquote star. They just have a bunch of different players that Spolster can use to match up in different situations. And whoever's defending that well, 
you know, that particular night can, can end up on Simmons or really just whoever. Um, like, you know, Bam Adebayo on the game once in a while can really cause some issues for certain, especially like wing players because he's pretty fast. Um, yeah, I mean, Simmons, Simmons had, still had an amazing game. Um, I, he went four of six from the free throw line, which was nice because I thought at some point, uh teams might just start wrapping him up when he goes to the basket and i don't think that's out of the question still i saw wade do it once um a very a very good time to do it yeah Uh, that was a strong tackle by wade it was a good one like simmons i think simmons usually powers through that and at least gets a shot up like wade didn't even let him get his arms over wade's probably used to having to do that to lebron um yeah so it'll be interesting to see if that gets played out at some point because i think it might but um this all in all, this game doesn't actually make me lose that much faith in the 76ers mm-hmm. because they got it so close, right. even though they played It like, felt like they could have won it pretty a, easily, yeah. Yeah. To shoot 7 of 36, and, and, you know, Miami didn't shoot all that well from 3 either. They were 9 of 25, but, you know, a couple more of those 3s, and again, they were tough looks, but a lot of the time, those are the shots that, that uh, Bellinelli and Cummington are making. They make two more of those at any point throughout the game. And it easily could have gone the other way. Or if Dwayne Wade doesn't go 11 of 16 yeah, yeah, and, Dwayne and Wade. Get like five step back jumpers. <laughs> right. Um, so, no, I'm with you. I, I, I would still go Sixers in six games. Sure. Five wouldn't even shock me. That wouldn't we'll shock see. me. Um, but this is kind of, I mean, I don't think this qualifies as adversity. But, you know, the narrative for the last week or two when you talk about this team is like, how will they react, you know, which when they finally lose a game, which they had won 17 in a row going right. into this. So they actually haven't lost a game in a long time and they've this group has never lost a playoff game so uh we'll see uh before we get to bucks celtics I should tell you about DraftKings. we're still offering free six month of rotowire subscription to new DraftKings users all you have to do is create a DraftKings account make your first deposit of at least ten dollars that'll get you a free six month rotowire subscription and also a free three dollar ticket to a one day fantasy sports contest deposited right into your DraftKings account just go to draftkings.com slash rotowire 2018 to claim that free subscription all right uh bucks celtics <laughs> the bucks are really 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 bad uh, uh for a lot of the time yeah. um they got a good game from Giannis. they got a pretty good game from chris middleton um but this this is a really really rough team to watch a really difficult team to cheer for uh the two guys i watched the game with on sunday are big bucks fans and it was there was no joy had whatsoever <laughs> at all like it was just it was 48 minutes well i guess 50 50 what three 53 minutes of yeah. just pure anger disappointment resentment shouting um you know i look today it, depending on much stock you put in um you know certain metrics basketball reference has a game score which is just kind of like an overall how good were you in this game Eric Bledsoe played his worst game regular season or playoffs in over four years um, in terms of that metric. He was god-awful. It was very clear to anyone watching this game that that Bledsoe, from the start, um, I wouldn't say he was disengaged. He was forcing a lot of things early. He kind of went dormant you know, in, in the second and third quarter, had a couple nice plays at the end. Um, and then, I mean, have you ever seen... I'm talking about the Rozier shot. Have you ever seen someone like it's one thing to get crossed over? It was a nice move by Rozier, whatever. Just not even exert any effort in that (laughs) in that situation with one second left on the clock. Not even not even fake take a step out on a shooter. I've never seen anything like that. 
neither have I. That's something I would do in like pickup basketball, where I'd just be like, right, I think you got up, me. You like, even shoot you the ball. give them the nominal, you know, <laughs> the hand up, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, clearly you're not gonna you're not gonna block, clap, yell, right. something, yeah, like that. something. You're not you're not gonna block the shot. Obviously, you're not even gonna bother the shot, but you have to at least make an effort. And that was to me that was just emblematic of this entire game. You know, not only for Bledsoe, but just this this team. Chris Middleton hits from like 40 feet you know with 0.5 (laughs) seconds left to tie it they pan to the bucks bucks bench two guys are cheering everyone else is just kind of like oh damn it we had to play five more minutes (laughs) tyler zeller looks thoroughly confused jabari is just like upset um i don't know to me this just seems like a slow march to a five or six game death for the bucks yeah and that's really upsetting because i wasn't like i know terry rozier is good but i don't want as a Bucks fan, I don't I, I don't want to be afraid that Terry Rozier is better than Eric Bledsoe, and it's going to be better than him for a playoff series. Um, somehow Bledsoe still plus seven. Yeah, not really sure. Um, he's a good defender. I'll give him that. Um, but yeah, I'm, and this was it, it's just uh, nothing was unusual from the Bucks' perspective. It's like this is a very typical loss for the Bucks, which is what's kind of like bothersome about yeah. it. it's like this is the playoffs like we can't um <laughs> you can't keep doing this and it's it's just the same offense over and over mm-hmm. again it's it's everyone you know everyone's kind of a point guard quote unquote and it's your job to just drive the ball in and if there's not a shot you kick it and then everyone just like runs circles and if there's not a shot there then middleton takes a 15 footer turnover turnaround or Giannis just tries to get a foul um and and none of it none of it works that well. Giannis ended up having a nice game numbers wise, 35, 13, 7, and 3. Uh did have four turnovers. The starting five had 16 turnovers, which is a huge you can't do Bledsoe that. had three or four that were just killer, you know, leading to points on the other end type of turnovers. Giannis had four himself. I thought Giannis was really hesitant in the first half. There were a lot of times where he had a one-on-one, you know, with Horford or with Morris, and like he's just sitting there like looking to pass it out. And you're like, just go up. You're 7-1. You have yeah. the longest arms in the league. Just lay it up. Even if you don't make it, you'll probably get your own rebound. And he he just kind of seemed like he, he wasn't confident enough in, in having that touch. Uh, but he did finish 11 of 21. He was 13 of 16 at the line. He was really yeah. good at the end of this game when they, when they needed him to be. Uh, so certainly the, the blame doesn't fall on Giannis. But um you know he and Middleton were responsible for 65 points the rest of the starting five at 18 Snell was really bad um but I think what's discouraging if you're the Bucks is you know they held the Celtics to 41 percent shooting the Bucks shot 48 percent the Bucks shot 38 percent from three you know Celtics were better from three but it, it wasn't a all-world shooting performance um and they, they were relatively comparable from the free throw line uh there wasn't a big discrepancy in terms of attempts so it, it's not like the Bucks laid this complete egg they turned it over 20 times but they had more assists you know everything else was fairly even and you still lose a game like this you know it felt like as weird as this series is because the Celtics you know aren't really a quote-unquote true two seed with their injuries uh this felt like a a bigger loss you know maybe than it should have been for the Bucks like given given all that happened to end up losing in overtime like that um it it just feels kind of extra crushing and how it's gonna affect the rest of the series yeah and um i mean the bucks still they managed to force 15 turnovers Mm -hmm. and so the turnover differential was only five and like if that was even then i mean we could this could be a completely different conversation um i i do think it's encouraging that they really they only they ended up losing the game in overtime in on the celtics home court and 
they played like pretty badly in general. Like I think that's kind of encouraging the fact that they kept the game close, mm-hmm. still pull, almost pulled out a win or you know against the Celtics at home, and it there wasn't even a lot to say like this went well. So if things can start to you know break the Bucks way a little bit, if they start you know if they break down the film and find some stuff that they can take advantage of, and I would assume they can considering the the Celtics roster, like you said, if it's Giannis just driving to the basket more because they don't really have anybody that can guard him, whether it's trying him at center more often because they tried that for a while. Well, they did it at the end of the game, and that's like they all of a sudden it went from a seven point game to a tie game, right? And they for some reason waited until like the five minute mark to give that look a try. Yeah, that lineup has been bad in general, but right. like that's this is a very different situation. Yes, it is. <laughs> than uh, trying it against mm-hmm. almost any other team. So, last know. thing we should mention on the Bucks: Jabari Parker, um, fifteen minutes, two points, four rebounds. He was a minus fourteen. He, as bad as Bledsoe was, Parker was right there. He was really, really rough in this game. Uh, Eric Name from Locked On Bucks from ESPN Milwaukee did a good job of you know i don't think he meant to pile on jabari but he you know he mentioned a few things on twitter there was one play where jabari kind of forced up a shot from the corner watched it brick jogged all the way back while his man jalen brown ran right in front of him for a layup (laughs) um and and eric noted that was the the bucks called a timeout jabari came out didn't come back in yeah and that was in the third quarter so hugely disappointing playoff debut from jabari parker but for those who have watched the bucks this year you know that kind of effort defensively hasn't uh you know it just hasn't been there yeah that's pretty normal for him and that's the main complaint against him yeah and it it really it's it's one thing in the regular season uh but when in this kind of a situation yeah you just let your man jog right past you uh, and you aren't playing good you aren't putting in even if you're bad at defense, if you're at least putting in effort and hustling, that's one right. thing. But, you know, being a minus 14 in 15 minutes, going one for five, like just because when he's not on, when he's not hitting on offense, then it's just like, why why are you playing him right. at all? Yep. Uh, well, that's enough on that series. Game two tonight. We'll see how that plays out. Wizards, Raptors, uh, game two of that series. Also tonight, I believe that's the NBA TV game uh, at 7 Eastern. This was a weird game one. Uh, I, I think it played out about how most expected, you know, for a 1-8, this is a pretty even matchup, even though one team has, you know, 16 more wins than the other yeah. in the regular season. It, it Kyle Lowry and DeRozan were better than they've been in past game ones, but it, I mean, Lowry especially had some pretty rough stretches in this game. He had 11 points, five fouls, five turnovers, one of four from three. And he never really got going. DeRozan got going for a stretch in the third but other than that, uh, it was DeLon Wright and C.J. Miles who really won this game for <laughs> Toronto, which, I mean, is a good sign because the big difference, and Serge Ibaka, we should also say, 23-12, yeah. and 12, he was great, his best game in a while. Um, the, the issue and the reason that this team has lost so many game ones and lost so many series is that when DeRozan and Lowry weren't playing well, which unfortunately in the playoffs has become routine, there wasn't this bench to pick them up and the big difference is that now they have this bench and you know i mean if you're a raptors fan i think this is almost the best case scenario you didn't get the a game from lowry and DeRozan, but as has been the case all year the bench picked them up and this is a game that last year if if they get that same game from lowry and DeRozan, they probably lose game one right and especially since the the wizards don't really have much of a bench like mike scott played really well um sure and and kelly Oubre is like he 
some games he's like literally the reason they win and other games mm. he's just not even there um this game went one for four we didn't see ty lawson in this game we did not which is disappointing um and i was actually surprised sagaransky only mm. he, i mean he played 12 minutes which i get it's a playoff game like he didn't play that well but i don't know i think they could utilize him more but yeah i mean as far as the raptors go yeah the whatever they can get from their bench which is usually a lot it's just I mean, yeah, like you said, it helps when, especially when Lowry just has these, mm-hmm. like he's had them throughout the season, these games where it's just like 15 points, 12 points, marginally efficient, like some assists, like a lot of rebounding. Um, he had an airballed three in the third quarter, like wide open look. Like he's, he's just a little he also had five turnovers. in the playoffs, right? Yeah. yeah. DeRozan airballed a three in, in that stretch as well. Right. Um, and John Wall's a good defender. So like we, yeah. you know, it, it, it makes sense that he wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. reach his averages, but yeah, DeRozan wasn't that great either, and I don't really consider like Beal to be a particularly as far as height wise. Like DeRozan yeah. should be able to just you know he has an advantage in that matchup, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I thought he and Beal were similarly quiet in this game. I mean, DeRozan seemed like he had, he had more you know kind of winning plays. Beal had it finished with nineteen, but it felt like he was invisible for a lot of this game. It was a lot of John Wall isos. John Wall was hitting threes, which usually is a really good sign. Uh, he was three <laughs> of five from three, but he was three of fifteen from two. Missed yeah. like he looked rusty on a lot like layups that he he of all players, you know, he's one of the better go a hundred miles an hour and still finish. You know, him and Russ are kind of those two guys. Yeah, he was you know kind of getting in the air, looked like he had a wide open layup and would just overshoot it, undershoot it. He had that one play late in the game where they basically gave Lowry the Roy Hibbert verticality. You know, there's like a huge amount of contact, but technically Lowry went straight up um, and Wall just kind of went into him and was expecting the foul, didn't get it. And that happened, it seemed like three or four times where where Wall would just kind of elevate for a layup and, you know, get caught in the air. And, you know, it's not like he was missing mid-range jumper after mid-range jumper. It was a lot of misses in the restricted area. Yeah, um, and there was a, there was a lot of Markeith Morris. Like he played really well, twenty two oh, yeah. points, eleven rebounds, six assists. He ended up being a minus twelve, but that may also like be with Abaca yeah. also playing super right. well. Like they, they may have kind of canceled each other out to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I and yeah, they played Gortat nineteen minutes, and I this roster to me, I don't know, I don't really know where. Like if they lose this series, which I think is very possible, I'm not really sure where they where they go from here. Um, like I understand like losing to the one seed, you shouldn't be like you know shipping everyone off because this this yeah. this should be a matchup that should happen basically in the conference semifinals um, or even the potentially the conference finals. Um, but yeah, it's 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 clear the Raptors should win this just based on mm-hmm. the starting lineups are relatively equal and. Toronto has by far gotten more out of their right. bench than than the Wizards have all year. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think this uh, this felt like one that the Wizards had to take. You know, I I don't think I don't think they're scared of this Raptors team, and I don't think I don't this think Raptors so team is as good as most one seeds in either conference most years. But like you said, they're just so much deeper. Um, and I think I still I still think Toronto's going to make the finals. I I'm getting pretty scared watching Philly when they're when they're going like Philly's peak right now is way higher than anyone else in the east See, that's when they, I, when that's they play their best yeah. they would blow cleveland out of the water they yep. would blow washington out of the water and I, they would they would beat toronto they wouldn't blow toronto out uh so that's what scares me and, you know i guess we'll kind of see how how this first round series plays out with philly 
after game one, everybody was ready to just pencil Philly into the finals. Yeah. <laughs> and then last night was a little bit of a, a reckoning on that. I penciled them into the finals before game one. Yeah. Let that be on the record. Well, they, everything went right in game one. They looked unbeatable. Yeah. Uh, we'll skip over the Cavs, talked about them. I mean, it's, we'll, I, I'm, I'm more nervous, I think, than most for tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't trust anyone on that team besides LeBron James whatsoever. You, at all you shouldn't I don't think that's a take I think like if your third best player is Jeff Green and he goes for zero points on 0 of 7 shooting in game one you're in pretty big trouble we'll skip over to T-Wolves Rockets okay uh, once again I think this was a game one that Minnesota had to win because of how it played out you know to be that close even with what 44 from James Harden Minnesota was right there yeah you know no one else shot it well really for Houston and Minnesota didn't even play that well. So I guess there is that, you know, you can kind of tell yourself, you know, we didn't play our A game. We were right there. But I think, you know, there's still a pretty big disparity here. And, and like the Toronto, uh, the Toronto Washington series, Minnesota isn't your normal eight seed by no. any means. Um, but there's still a big gap to me between, you know, Houston, which was wire to wire, the best team in the NBA this year, uh, and this Minnesota team. So, yeah, I mean, it was the big storyline coming out of this is Carl Towns going three of nine, you know, right. eight, eight points for Towns, who I think will probably end up being a third team All NBA guy and well deserved. Um, but a, a bizarrely coached game, I thought by by Tom Thibodeau. One, not not making Towns more of an emphasis, and then kind of blaming Towns after the game, and then two, playing Derrick Rose and Jamal Crawford a combined fifty minutes off the bench. <laughs> the Amara shots that Derrick Rose took I mean, he took 14 shots and yeah. he t- I We're second on the team to Wiggins second on the team and he took two threes but it felt like more I don't know why but I think when Derrick Rose takes two threes it just feels yeah. like a lot Those in are general. Worth like six attempts right um and yeah the the Towns thing is is weird because it seems so obvious to everybody and even like I thought that playing like posting up towns when you get a mismatch was like the obvious thing to do and like was basically the key of the series was like how can we get towns 25 30 points just based off of dragging either Clint capello out to the three-point line or posting up like eric gordon or james harden um which ended up not being the case because cat just ran to the corner whenever hargan was on him and and none of that ever made sense to me um plus capella played really well like he clearly won the matchup by a lot capella with 24 and 12 with five offensive rebounds um and ended up being a, a plus seven had three blocks um yeah and like you mentioned like timberwolves didn't play that well and the, the game was still close which was incredible but at the same time houston shot 27 percent right. from three which they aren't that's gonna that's gonna go up that's gonna be their worst three-point shooting game of the entire playoffs i think <laughs> Probably. You know, chris paul was yeah. awful in this game 14 he points was. he had four assists six turnovers one of six from three he almost had another chris paul playoff moment i don't know if you watched to the end he was about to get fouled with i'm trying to bring up the game score here like like nine seconds left there the t-wolves are down three have to foul and chris paul tries to make a crazy like full court pass down to <laughs> i think eric gordon threw it way over his head goes out of bounds so it's 104 101 with eight seconds left, T-Wolves ball, and Jimmy Butler got off one of the worst shots possible yeah. in that situation. It wasn't It wasn't even a three. It, his, no. ba- his back was basically to the basket when he jumped, turn around, air ball. Uh, Wiggins ended up, I think, catching the air ball, but it was too late and you know couldn't get back out for an attempt. So horrible uh, end-of-game execution by Minnesota. 
Uh, but yeah, like I said, I mean, as, as poorly as Towns played, you know, Butler really wasn't great. He only had 13 in this game. Um, you know, it felt like the that, this is the best Derrick Rose game they're going to get all playoffs. <laughs> uh, Jamal Crawford was good even in his 26 minutes. Um, and as well as Harden played, like Chris Paul's not going to play like this again. Ariza and Tucker were one of nine from three. Eric Gordon was one of seven. Gerald Green was 0 of three. Um, I mean, had it not been for Harden going seven of 12, the rest of the team was what, three of 25? Yeah. That's not going to happen again. No. Um, I still think the Timberwolves can take a game. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't going to pick them as the sweep because I think. I, they just have they just have a lot of talent like up front um i mean the whole starting lineup is is good um and i think they have the length to to bother hargan although hargan obviously still ended up with 44 points uh um i i you know it, it, everyone's putting a lot of pressure on cat but unfortunately that's kind of the situation right now he has to be their second best player because he is their second best player arguably depending on how you feel about jimmy butler um uh and because wiggins is just falling off i mean i you know yeah. we this was kind of a big year for wiggins in terms of where his trajectory was going to yeah. go um and i think i think unfortunately it went like most people who watched a lot of basketball thought it would go yeah um so yeah the key to the series is going to be carl towns um which i which i, I don't think that had changed no. because of this game it it it's, I think if anything, it's it going to be the case it, the whole right? time. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's I amplified. Think, it. I think there's even more pressure now on how does Towns, you know, clearly he's not going to take nine shots again. I think that's And he should be take clear. more than two threes. Like, I, I don't even, you know, I like don't know. if he took nine threes and he went three for nine, I'd be like, well, okay, that's, I, right. I understand that. But yeah, bizarrely coach game, like we said. Uh, I'll, I'll go Rockets in five. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Pels Blazers. This was the late game on Saturday. I'll admit this this is the one that I watched the least closely right. uh, out of all of our game ones so far and even a couple of the game twos. Uh, did watch the end. Anthony Davis played uh, about as well as you could possibly ask. <laughs> yeah. He was awesome. Dame and, and uh, CJ both pretty rough game ones uh, shooting-wise. Still almost won this game, though. Uh, and, you know, at, honestly, it was a close game that was going to be even closer had it not been for a couple of huge defensive plays by drew holiday yeah. down the stretch a massive pin block on pat Connaughton, who for some reason is taking clutch layups with 30 seconds hey, left yeah. uh which is one of several i mean there were, i forget who it was i think it might have been kevin o'connor from the ringer spotlighted a few in, in his recap piece the other day of just uh small defensive plays uh being in the right spot you know defending on the fast break from drew holiday uh who's also good on offense 21 and 7 yeah, right uh t- two blocks like we said um and then miritich and davis both had four blocks so uh probably a better defensive effort than we thought yeah. from the from the pelicans um i wouldn't have guessed that they would hold portland under 100 points um and, and portland as a team didn't shoot at all that badly from three they had 12 made threes uh but lillard and mccollum uh really struggled from two-point range which was surprising yeah i mean the pelicans I, I think, I don't know, a lot of this, I mean, a, a, a strange key to their team is Miritich playing out of his mind mm-hmm. for the past, like, five games of the regular, three, four games of the regular season, and then now, um, and on offense and defense, like, he's racking up steals, blocks, he's hitting threes, um, and is, I mean, their starting lineup is, like, on paper, to me, like, looks just as good as the Trailblazers starting lineup um and that wasn't something i think i realized until like this game happened Mm -hmm. um and 
like you mentioned, like Drew Holiday, just incredible. Like he can guard both Lillard and McCollum and give them either one of them issues. Like if one of them gets particularly hot in yeah. a game, they just throw Drew Holiday on them. Um, well, they don't have a bad defender in the starting five. I and mean, Miritich isn't a great defender normally, but like you said, I mean, four blocks, two steals in this yeah, he, game. Like he's become a much better defender than he used to be. Um, I mean, Etwan Moore, you know, like he's he's kind of a good matchup with Evan Turner. Yeah, you know, and, not, and not that Evan Turner requires all this oh, defensive he took, attention. He took fifteen shots. He did <laughs> right, and he was okay in this game. Didn't have an assist though uh, in thirty minutes. Um, but yeah, Rondo even I think he's back to playoff Rondo as a defender. He had seventeen assists, Very eight nice. rebounds, six points. Of course, um, the, the prototypical Rondo playoff game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would think I'm still going to take Portland in the series. I'll, I'll go Blazers in seven. Uh, I think they're considerably deeper. Um, you know, Miritich playing 40 minutes and his, his kind of reemergence has coincided, unfortunately, with Emeka Okafor <laughs> right. not being in the rotation anymore. Um, but, you know, I mean, as good as Davis is, I still love the combination of Lillard and McCollum. I mean, the Blazers in my opinion, undisputably have the two, the second and third best players in the series. Right. Drew Holiday is a very close fourth. He is. Um, but then you look at the bench. I mean, the, the four guys who played off the bench for New Orleans were Cech Diallo, Darius Miller, Solomon Hill, and Ian Clark versus what's been a pretty good Blazers bench. Um, and one that played fairly well, but just didn't shoot the three all that well. You know, Collins, Napier, and Connaughton uh, were a combined two of 11 from three in this game and Aminu and Turner were two of nine. And I think ultimately that was the difference. I mean, it's a two point game. Right. And um, like, I, I like Ian Clark. He's played well for the team, especially like after the all-star break. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, if the trade, if the trailblazers can get back Harkless during the series, that matters. Um, and then also I think I, the part of the problem is I think the Pelicans can win the series, but only if Nikola Miritich continues to be this, version of Nikola Miritich that is basically a 20 and 10 player with you know some other good like if he doesn't play up to this level which is a very extreme level for him like he proved it in Chicago that he's a good player but if he doesn't play at more or less this level I think they are probably going to lose the series if he can I mean if this is the real Nikola Miritich and he can do this for you know five six of the games I think they can win Mm mm-hmm no, I think so too. I, I I was a little skeptical of this Pelicans team coming in, but this was, I mean, it goes without saying, this was a pretty big statement win in Portland right. uh, in game one. So we'll get game two of that series tonight. That's the late game. It's exciting. 9.30 Central Time start for us. Good stuff. Um, OKC, Utah. <laughs> okay. I got to say, I don't, I mean, I, I like Utah. I love Donovan Mitchell, even after his... Well, uh questionable antics we'll say if you don't think week. he's rookie of the year i don't then, think he's rookie of the year well then you can't I like hate him, him. <laughs> um i mean that's just that's gotten a life of its own which is crazy but if he's not 100 percent, this series is over it yeah. might have been over either way i mean if there was a i i still i mean i'm not by any means saying that i'm confident in okc because they've been as shaky as anybody uh, but if there was any question that this team like had a higher level to go to i think it came out in game one you know i mean Utah didn't play all that well, but they didn't play all that poorly either. And it just seemed like every time Utah was about to make a little run, you know, OKC would just kind of turn things over to Paul George and Russell Westbrook. And it was the gap in the gap in high end talent, you know, one, two, three, four on the Thunder versus one, two, three, four on the Jazz. Uh, it kind of became more and more clear, I think, as this game went on. 
Yeah, um, Rubio's 18 shots really stuck out to me. Like yeah. watching the game, I was like, Rubio is really just just firing. Chuck um, 0 for 3 from 3, which again, like Derek Rose, I felt like he took like six of them, ending up only being three. Um, yeah, I rare, I rarely, uh, I mean, at this in in this particular year of playoffs, I didn't think any of the series would end in a sweep. Like I felt like the matchups were good enough to where most games, most mm-hmm. series would go five. Um, but yeah, if if Mitchell is if he's you know at 75 percent this is really going to be tough for the jazz um because they don't really have the personnel to i mean to guard the thunder's three best players um and even carmelo didn't play that well i watched him brick a lot um russ didn't play all that well shooting wise no um george really carried the team and that's the thing too it's like well the game like you mentioned the game was it had points where it got close and had paul george not had one of his you know best games of the year the game might have been even closer and it's like you know if the that's the reason i think you know the jazz can maybe sneak one out is because when because carmelo at this point just generally doesn't play that well right and so then if paul george and westbrook aren't great on a you know in a game then the jazz can because the jazz team they have like really good chemistry as far as you know rubio is great with with Gobert offensively, like getting him the ball, and Gobert and Stephen Adams kind of cancel each other out as far as rebounding and and stuff like that. But um, if it goes anything like like it went um, in the first game, it's going to be rough. Yeah, I, I think I would pick, is assuming Donovan Mitchell is healthy. We should note he left this game briefly, went and got an X ray, I think, and he, I don't think he's actually hurt. And he's questionable. Was, yeah, I mean they. If you watch the game, he was pleading to stay in the game. He was the the jazz but he was also in pain like he was limping around and then <laughs> right. got upset at the coaching staff when they pulled him out and they were like dude like you barely can walk so i don't know if he's on 100 percent. this might be a sweep just because they're so reliant on him uh and let rubio was chucking i thought mitchell was chucking in this game he ended up finishing 11 of 22 which isn't bad but uh a lot of tough shots were taken and a lot of shots were forced i thought by him but that's kind of how this team has to live and die because gobert's not creating his own shot no Inglis isn't creating his own shot. Favors isn't doing that. Rubio, I guess, tried. And tried, you know, what happened yeah. was he went 5 of 18. <laughs> um, so that's the thing. I mean, I, I think the gap, like, at, at full strength with Donovan Mitchell playing like he has for most of the year, this is a much closer series. Paul George isn't going to go 8 of 11 from 3 again. Uh, but you figure some regression there, some progression from Russell Westbrook, and things probably even out. And, you know, we, we see a similar result, I think, in Game 2. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I other yeah the game was relative like I'm I'm looking at like the team stats nothing was too far off like they took basically the same amount of three same amount of free throws like turnovers mm-hmm. weren't that crazy but um points the paint for the Jazz was really dominant but still yeah, yeah I I don't I agree with everything you said yeah I mean it, it I think this makes for a little bit more of an interesting uh round two series anyway I mean it, I I think everyone likes this Jazz team but. I personally, I would rather see Houston go up against Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, and Stephen Adams than Joe Inglis and Dante Axum and Donovan <laughs> Mitchell. I, I think I just think that's going to be more. I, I don't know. I don't think either team has a great chance to beat Houston. I just think OKC can at least give them a better series. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I like. I would. I would like. I like to see the Jazz against teams like Houston because they're kind of like the anti-Houston. Sure. But. Um, yeah, from an entertainment perspective, chances of it going to a game seven, having just wild things happen, 
uh, Thunder versus Rockets is is definitely what I would want. Okay. Um, all right. Before we head out, let's pick these games for tonight. Washington at Toronto. Toronto. I think Toronto as well. I, yeah. Like I said, I think Washington had its chance in game one. It, I think it'll be close again, but I, I'll go with Toronto. Milwaukee at Boston. I'm actually going Milwaukee. Oh? Yeah. Wow. Okay, yeah. I'll go Boston. I I have little faith in this Bucks team. And New Orleans at Portland. <sighs> I'm going. I'll, I'll go New Orleans. Okay, I'm gonna go Portland. Okay, I'm hoping we have our, I guess, office fantasy basketball stake league dinner tonight we do. at a locale in downtown Madison that does not have a single TV. I don't know if you've ever been to Tornado oh, Room. It's gonna be my first time. Everyone it's, says it's great. Yeah, it is great. But the only thing is, it's it's so great in fact that they don't have any TVs, not even in the bar area um so we're going to be a little bit up against it in terms of being able to watch washington toronto especially i think we should be able to get second half of milwaukee boston yeah and hopefully all of new orleans portland but i mean honestly if you had to pick one game to like not keep the closest eye on it's probably washington toronto yeah right Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.